you guys have seen the movies. It's that battle movie or the Braveheart, the Gladiator. It doesn't matter. It's those movies that have those major battles. And that's kind of where we start here today. We start with, with a valley that is filled with the results of a major battle. Bodies, weapons, blood, crows, birds, wild animals starting to come in. It's all over. As the camera pans, it goes to one side of the valley and you see the tents and you see a defeated army walking up the hill. Some are seeking medical attention immediately. Some are throwing their swords, their shields, getting their armor off. They're done. They're frustrated. They're scared because they know that tomorrow they got to do the exact same thing. On the other side, you got another army that is celebrating that is affirming that we knew that when we come into this land, we were going to destroy this enemy. And today, when we eliminated 4,000 of their soldiers, they did it. They are celebrating. They're probably drinking. They're resting. They're eating. They have that, that excitement to get right back at it tomorrow. But on the other side, there's grieving and there's crying and there's people getting on their knees and saying this, why did the Lord bring defeat on us before the Philistines? Why the Lord did you bring defeat? Why, we are the people of God. Why did this happen? And here they are, confused, worried, not knowing what to do next. The generals all get together. They're freaking out. They don't know what to do. They start throwing out battle plans. Maybe if we do this, maybe we run, maybe we hide. Maybe we still fight. Maybe we send the men to fight while we run. And as plan after plan goes forth, goes forth, one man says, I know what we need. We need to get the box. And so right here in 1 Samuel 4, it starts with this. The man says, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. It was like the minute he said that, everyone's brain, everyone's thought went, yes. There was no dissension. There was no like, oh, but can we or oh, should we? Should we pray about it? No, it was, yes, let's get the ark. Everything in their culture, everything they have believed in, everything they have followed has been about that box. When they left Egypt and they were in the desert, it was the very thing, the, 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 this gold box with these cherubim, these winged eagle uh, uh, angels, where these, the, the wings on the box, they don't touch, but in the center, that was the mercy seat. That was where God was. So when they say, let's go get the ark, they're saying, let's go get God, because God is physically there with them. It is what they followed 
in the wilderness. It is what got them across the Jordan River. And when they went up against Jericho, they brought it out, walked around the city seven times, and brought down the mighty walls of Jericho. They know its power. They know what it does. That is God. And so they go. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all of Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. They go get it. They come back. Not only do they have God with them, but they got Eli, who is the high priest, their leader, their, his two sons, which are the next in line to lead them, with them. They got God, they got the priests, and they just erupted. You ever just been so down, so defeated, but, but one piece of information immediately raises your spirits? Sometimes it's that spark of hope that just causes everything to go away, every fear, every doubt. As soon as that ark enters the camp, the ground physically shook. All those soldiers, all those men, fear and doubt, gone. They are ready now for day two. There's no more sleeping. There's no more, uh, you know, crying. They patch up their wounds, and now they're ready to go. The sound was so great that it says this. It says, hearing the uproar, the Philistines, Philistines asked, what is this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord has come to camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has ever happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of this mighty God? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. They hear it. They hear the shouting. And it's confusing. Wait a minute. Didn't we just destroy them? Why are they celebrating? Why are they shouting? Why is the ground kind of shaking? Now, in every group of guys, you've got the strong guy. You've got the smart guy. You've got the street smart guy. You've got, uh, you know, all those types of things. The leader, the charismatic guy. Then you've got the guy that just runs. He's the runner. He's the guy that you send out. And, you know, he goes, and they said, all right, get, get Sparky and send him over there. Find out what it is. And so he runs. He goes down the village, across the river, opens up, looks through the camp, closes it, runs back over, <sighs> catches his breath and says, they got a god. Well, we all got gods. You know, we got gods. They got gods. No, 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 no. You don't understand. They got the God. They got, they got, they got the God. They got the God who put e Egypt on their knees. They know the stories. Matter of fact, they know what this box is. They know that it's God there. And they know that they're doomed. They're done. Nothing like this. No enemy. They have never faced anything like that. 
And then there's the speech. In every movie, you got the speech, right? Philistine general says, be strong, Philistines, be men. You will be subject to the Hebrews if they have been subject to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated. And every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was so very great, Israel lost 30,000 men. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were dead. They go from bad to worse. The guy stands up, says, look, they might have a God, but if we don't take care of this now, we're done. And so whatever courage they had left, knowing they were going to face a God, they still went out there and defeated Israel. The two high priest's sons were dead, and they took God away from his people. What's that about? It gets so bad that when news comes back to the village, the high priest, Eli, he hears of the news. He immediately is heartbroken. Not only did he lose his sons, they lost the battle, they lost God. He falls back, breaks his neck. Now he's dead. The people are obviously like, we're done. Uh, one of the high priest's wife has a, goes into labor, has a kid. They name him Ichabod, which I don't think anyone's name here is Ichabod, which if you are, I'm sorry, uh, which means that the glory of the Lord has left us. You were born on a day that will remind us of the day that the glory of God is gone. Try to grow up with that mantle on your life. Poor kid. 30,000 men dead, high priest's son dead, the ark taking. And yet, as a pastor, I look at this and I say, they did everything right. Okay, look, at least what I would tell you guys, right? They, they realized they needed God, right? They looked at their problem. They said, God, we need you. They, they asked God for help. They asked him for help. God, help us win this battle. And they had the faith that it was going to happen. So much faith that the earth shook. Now, I've seen a lot of faith happen. I've seen a lot of faith in my... I've never seen it that much where the ground shook. But that's religion. And if we believe that, if we believe that that's how we get things done... Well, then it's going to leave us frustrated, disappointed, and eventually we're going to be angry at God if we believe that's all it takes. Have you been there? Have you ever had those moments where you're banging your head against the wall and you're, God, you're like, God, when is this going to happen? I need this to happen. Why is this happening to me? What do I do next? Or you're, you're meet with some some catastrophe in your life. And then usually at some point, some well-meaning person will come up to you and say, well, you know, that's just part of God's plan. <laughs> have you, have someone said that to you? Have you ever said that to someone? <laughs> Look, it's well-meaning, I get it. 
But it's not necessarily always true. Unfortunately, we live in a world where a lot of things don't go to God's plan. So what was missing? Well, they were stuck in religion. They knew all what they had to do, but they were still stuck. How many of you guys have ever known a religious person? Like when you just think, oh, that person's just religious. Or you've been called a religious person. It happens too, right? You ever been accused of being a religious person? I'm going to share a story with you that it's kind of embarrassing, but I'm going to share it anyways. And I might have shared it with you before, but... So two times I've been called a religious person. One time, I own it. And I'm like, yeah, I am. You know, I was with some friends. It was, it was a work thing. They asked to go, they wanted to go do something that I knew I shouldn't do. And I just said, ah, I just can't do it. But, you know, have fun. And they said, oh, you're just religious. And I'm like, well, yeah, okay. The second time I was told I was a religious person was not good. That was the other end of it. So when I was 16, 17, can't remember, me and my friends, mostly my friends, they invited me along. Uh, we wanted to start a Bible study, Sunday nights, and just invite our friends. And we did it. And it kind of was successful. And all it was is that we would pick a book of the Bible. We'd all get together on a Sunday night. I don't know if it was just because it was like, our last get-together before the school week or whatever, but it was just a fun night where we had snacks, we had soda, and, and we just sat in my friend's living room and we read a scripture and we talked about it and we prayed for each other. That's what it was. And then word got out, friends started inviting friends and more, more kids started to come and it actually became this really cool, successful thing. There was no adult involved. There was no adult spurring us on saying, you need to do that. It was just the three of us wanted to do that. And I look back at that point in my life, and I'm like, wow, like, that was, it was, it was really neat. Well, word got out to a, this, this Bible study was in Altaloma, and one of the Altaloma churches found out that we were doing that. And so they sent the youth pastor to come talk to us. And basically... They wanted to absorb our youth group, our, our little group that we had. And, and so he met with us, you know, saw what we had going on, and, uh, and was like, hey, yeah, join us, and we'll teach you, and we'll do all these things, and we'll equip you. And we're like, wow. So what do you think that did to a bunch of, I don't know, 16, 7-year-olds? Our egos went, are you kidding me? A church wants to like, just like take us on? And so immediately we're like, well, we need to get serious. We need to do some, you know, follow suit and listen and, and, and follow their rules. Now, I'm not saying what that church did was right or wrong. And the rules that they gave us were, I mean, rules here that we have, but but we just kind of went with it a little bit more than we should. Now look, I'm gonna tell you something. I, 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 it's funny, but it's, it's really embarrassing because just know I was a child, okay? 
So in the course of getting serious, and there's a lot of good things that were coming out of being serious, we also decided that the three of, the three of us should uh, have chairs that are taller and bigger than the rest of all the chairs in there, where we sit to, to give the lesson. Um, we also decided that in the beginning, when we come out to do the lesson, that we would come out to theme music. <laughs> We're big wrestling fans. I still think we should incorporate theme music to everyday life, but whatever. Uh, we called it the big show. Um, and we started doing the tithing. Okay, so uh, we came out. Yeah, so we, we, we well, we did like, like uh, yard sales to get money for it, tithing and all that kind of stuff. And again, you don't give, give kids that kind of authority. And, uh, and so we, somehow we can justify things in our mind that, you know what the big show needs? It being July and all, we need fireworks. <laughs> and so we take that money and go buy a bunch of fireworks because that's what it needs. And we'd be like, you know, on the way home, maybe we should get Carl's Jr. and get a burger and one of those cheesecakes and, and then put IOUs back into the box of the big show. Um, of course, we're going to an area where you can't have fireworks, but we'd go get the fireworks in Chino and then just light them off and throw fireworks at each other in each other's cars. And I don't think we use the firework for the show at all. Anyways, uh, so one of the days that we're getting ready for our Bible study, and we have our three chairs, we're coming out to our music, and we're walking out, and I, lo and behold, I see someone in my chair. And I have to be like, oh, no, no, you sit there. Why can't I sit here? Oh, because, no, it's like a... And then when you start to explain it, you realize, like, oh, yeah, this is dumb. But... <laughs> But you're like, no, no, you, you just got to sit there. And then it was like, you go sit down. Like, go sit over there. And then she tells me, why are you being so religious? Boom, it got me. Well, you can imagine that with that spirit, the big show didn't last too much long, didn't last so much longer. You know, kids started going away and life started changing. And it just, it is what it is. It's funny now, but it's sad because like that was in that time, that young lady who said that to me, she saw that. And if she ever thought back to church or Christianity or what we were trying to teach as religious, well, then we did something wrong. I mean, I know we did something wrong, but I hope she found a church where she learned that <laughs> it's not always like that. So our church, if you've done the O1s, if you've been a part or heard this saying, I'm sure you know what our mission statement is. You guys know what our mission statement is? Go ahead and say it. Relationship, not religion. Three words. Relationship, not religion. Yeah, three words. Okay. Relationship, not religion. That's our mission team. That's what, we, that's what we feel like our church here exists. And it's based off of this scripture here in Mark. It says this, Mark 12, 28. So if you have a Bible, underline it, circle it, write it down, because like I said, it's kind of a key scripture to our church. 
12, 28. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Look, he says that's the first but it is also the oldest commandment. It is the first and oldest commandment. It's about relationship. It's about loving God. It's the thing that God does command, that we love him. And so if you go back to the days of Adam, it's the oldest commandment because it began there in the garden. Just God with his creation walking the earth and just loving each other, living life. God never said that you had to learn Leviticus and learn all this stuff. No, it was just them together in relationship, walking in the garden. It's always intended for it to be a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with God and his creation, with the father, with his son, and with his daughter, between you and God. But yes, as we know, sin destroyed that. Sin destroyed that because like Eve, we can all fall for a lie, right? How many of you guys have ever, you've fallen for a lie? You believed a lie. You know, I think I got through most of the movie before I realized, man, this Forrest Gump thing really didn't happen. This, is, this movie's not real. Or at some point, maybe you're like me, where you're out in the middle of the desert banging pots and pans, and you go, man, there's no sniper out here. You fall, everyone falls for a lie. It happens, and so did Eve, and so did Adam. But what followed was, well, God went into his plan, but what followed is that sin corrupted the earth. It corrupted everything. It corrupted our relationship with nature. It corrupted our relationship with our own bodies. It cor corrupted our relationship with each other, it corrupted relationship, corrupted our relationship with God. Like I said, it's the one thing that God wants. He wants us to love him. And yet for a lot of us, loving God might be the hardest thing you have ever tried. And I get that. I understand that. But that's because sin has corrupted that relationship. And so because of that, because of the corruption of everything, of nature, relationships, our bodies, everything, there had to become these, these laws. And then we got six. First, you got the Ten Commandments, right? Ten Commandments, which for the most part, they're pretty easy to follow. But then you got 613 laws of Moses that followed that. Now, some of those are all about how, how, you, how to do life in that time, how to do uh, church at that time, how to do war, how to settle arguments, how to uh, stay clean. And yeah, some of those laws, like, like, the, 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 um, like leprosy laws, they're hardcore, but you got to understand something. Modern medicine's not invented yet. And if, and if those laws didn't happen, then us as a species would have been wiped out a long time ago. Okay, so, so some of that stuff is, is hardcore, and some of that stuff is right, but as time went on, 
as they went and they tried to follow these 613 laws, they just, people started adding to them or adding different points of view about them and, and, and imposing them on their lives and on how they worship and on what they had to do. And it just got out of hand. And so it was the idea that if you followed those laws, you will be blessed. And if you don't, well, then you're cursed. So that's what it says here in Galatians 6 or 3.13. It says that Christ redeemed us from this curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing of given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In other words, we don't have to feel stuck by religion anymore because he has wiped out those 613 laws, those things that, that, that weigh us down, that think that we have to add, you know, uh, measure up to. He says, no, that curse is gone. You're free now. That's what Christ did. So the question is, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then the hard part is over. You've done it. You're not under that curse. Yet, we can still get stuck in religion. Have you guys ever been stuck, like in something? Like, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know your guys' lives. Maybe you got stuck in a tube once. But, <laughs> but you ever have that moment where you're stuck, and it's like you, that's the first second where you realize, oh, I'm stuck. And then you're like, you're stuck. And then you start really freaking out. It happens, right? Man, my sister, growing up, when she was a baby, she was still in the crib, she got her head stuck in the crib bars. And I could remember my mom running out of the house like a mad woman, screaming in the neighborhood for help. My dad wasn't home. It was during the day. I'm young, but I'm trying to, I couldn't do it. And some neighbors came and lifted, he opened up the bars and my sister got her head out. We're like, oh my gosh, she did. Thank you, thank you. And it's like, oh, she's in there again. My sister, she did that like three times, got her head stuck. Now, I don't know if it's my sister's fault, my parents' fault. I mean, it's the same crib that I had. I never got my head stuck in the thing. But she just kept doing it and doing it. And I, eventually, my parents, I think, built something. But man, kids, kids and babies, it's, it's scary. <laughs> I'm so, so glad that part of my life is over. You just never know. Yeah. My sister's got a real skinny neck to this day. <laughs> you ever see her? <laughs> you ever see her? She has a skinny neck. You're like, oh, that's because crib. Anyways, so how do we know when we're stuck in religion? Because the truth is, we can all do that. We can all have moments where we are religious people, right? All us good, meaning Christians, we can come across as religious. But how do we know when it's bad? How do we know when we're stuck and when we need to make changes? Well, here's number one. The right rituals, wrong lifestyle. Look, here's the deal with those high priest sons. They were horrible people, okay? They were, they were 
making prostitution a part of worship. They were stealing from people. They were everything on the outside holy, but everything on the inside corrupt. Man, they are everything what people, when you, have you ever talked to someone like, oh yeah, the church is nothing but a bunch of corrupt people. They were that. They're the reason why people believe that. When people have that thought of the church, it's somewhat justified, okay? I get it. Because people like that still today exist, whether they're doing the right rituals, whether they're coming to church, they're raising their hands, and yet their lifestyle at home is anything but. And I have fallen for that many a times, where I think someone is who they are, but when they're at home, they're completely different. See, the thing is, why didn't the people run to God before they had their first battle? Before they lost the 4,000 people, why didn't they bring the ark of God in before? It's because they didn't have a relationship with God. They just had the ritual. And it wasn't just Hophni and Phinehas, the priests. It was all the people. They were just corrupt, and they just did not want, they wanted to run for God only for success, but they never ran to God for surrender. Okay, and think about it. When, when all bad news did come, did they repent? No. They just named all their kids horrible things to remind them that God is horrible to them and left. They didn't repent. Ran for God for success, not for surrender. Number two, how do you know when you're stuck in religion? Well, you only focus on what you get and not the giver. Is the point of prayer to get something or to have a relationship? How many of your prayers are God give me and not God change me? Something to think about, right? <laughs> I mean, you guys know. I, I don't know. I, I have a friend. He's a friend that I hardly talk to, but we're friends, right? As in when they call or when they need something, I'll help them and whatever. But I do know when they call, they're trying to sell me some new insurance, right? You guys know those people? It's like they're only calling. They're only like... Let's connect. They, they always say, hey, I want to connect with you. And then you're like, oh, wait, I'm in the middle of a sales pitch. <laughs> we can treat prayer like that sometimes. Oh, God, I want to spend time with you, but I need this, 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 and this. And when we're stuck in religion, we think of God as just the ATM machine. Third thing is when you're stuck in religion that you get angry at God when you don't get what you ask for. Look, we, every single one of us here has, if you've prayed to God, you have all experienced unanswered prayer, right? We have all been there. We can all relate to each other. We can all understand that frustration and that need. Jesus gets it too. You got to understand something. When he was in the garden and he is praying, and in the night before he is arrested, he is praying, God, I don't want to go to the cross. I 
don't want to die on the cross. I don't, I don't want to do this. But yet at the same time, those torches still came and they still arrested him because he was all about the relationship with God because God, it is your will be done, not mine. Yes, we can go to God for our wants. We can go for God for our desires. But when he tells us no, is it, well, then I'm done with you. Well, then that's an indicator you never had a relationship to begin with. But when it's no, and it's an understanding, maybe not an understanding of, of the situation, but, but you're not writing off God, well, then that's the indicator of a relationship. God has told me no a bunch of times. Told me no for things that I'm glad he told me no to. Told me no for things that I don't understand why he told me no. But you still got to move forward. Don't let, don't get angry when God tells you no. Because the truth is, when we think about the, what God wants and the way what Jesus has said in the Bible, it's not that he's going to rescue us from every single hurt. He restored relationship on the cross with us, and he's also now, he steps into our problems with us. Not necessarily to fix, but steps into our problem with us so that we can endure. Listen, when you have that person that is in that situation and is saying, oh, it's all part of God's plan, or maybe you need to pray more, or all the religious things that you don't want to hear in that moment, that's religion. But maybe the most religious thing you can do, according to Jesus, is to just sit with the person, not say a word, grieve with the person, celebrate with the person, step into their problems with them, not to fix, but just to tell them that they're not alone. That is relationship. That is what God wants. Prayer is not a way to control God, but it's how we connect. It's how we establish that relationship. It's how we keep that relationship going. I'm going to read Mark again. That one of the. Um, I'm going to read Mark 12 again. The most important one answered Jesus is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is what God really wants. From the beginning, it was always about relationship, and it was about not fixing yourself first, but putting yourself in a position to be fixed. That is what God wants. He wants you to tell him, Lord, I'm not clean. I'm not ready. I've not done the rituals. I just, I, I need help. And God says, that's where we start. That's relationship. He's not a God that says that you have to do this, 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 and this. No, he wants you to start at the brokenness. He just wants that connection. So number one, instead of getting, how do we get, how, what does God really want? Instead of getting religious, pursue relationship. Don't get religious, pursue relationship. Don't, don't think that, like I said, don't think that you have to do all these things to be a Christian. 
All it is is saying, God, I want that relationship with you. Help me. That's it. You mess up, you miss the mark, you admit it, you move forward. It took Israel 20 years before the ark came back into camp. It was a process for the people. Like I said, they went from being non-repentive to just complaining to all of a sudden realizing, no, we need God. And so 20 years it finally took. There's no, there's no you know, deadlines. It just it takes as long as it needs to take. Does that make sense? So why does the church hold to this mission? Why is it our mission statement? Relationship, not religion. Because at the end of the day, we feel that the church should not be a place where perfect people go, but yet it's a place, it's a rehab center where people can come and be encouraged to grow their relationship with God. That is our heart's desire on what Granite Creek is. Because the truth is, all those things of falling in, those getting stuck in religion, I have done. And the thing is, I know you have done too. But that's okay. Because that's what this place is. We just grow together. We move forward. There are times where people are, are in sin, and there are times where you just kind of have to be there for them and encourage them. There are times when they're in sin, and you got to just call it out. But those won't matter if we're not in a relationship. People can call you on your stuff all you want, but if it's not a, someone close or a dear friend or a family member, it's not going to matter, right? So we here at Granite Creek want to teach that idea that everything starts with relationship, and that starts with your relationship with God, because you're never going to follow what God wants for your life until you have built that relationship with him. Look, there are a lot of things that I still fall short of, that we all still fall short of, but the thing is, as a relationship gets better, those things get easier to follow. Right? My kids follow my rules, some of them, because of the relationship I have with them. Not because I'm just coming over here, I can bark orders. It starts with relationship. And so when we say our mission, relationship, not religion, that's what that means. We want people to know that, any, again, any stage of life, any sin you're involved in, that you don't need a class, you don't need rituals, you don't need a permit. You just need to come a heart ready for relationship. Now, I've been at this church going on 24 years now. And as far back as I can remember, that has always been the mission statement. It's its reason for being here. If I can have the band come on up. So, I, it's a, when I first heard it, I thought it was silly. Relationship, not religion. I did. Maybe you guys thought the same thing. But I didn't see that really come into play 
until one night, and I know I've shared this story before, so if you've heard it, forgive me, but one night, if you've been upstairs, you see that hallway, that long hallway. One night in that hallway, we used to have a bench there, and I'm sitting there, and the youth pastor at the time, Rod Hayes, asked me to be a youth leader, and I told him, I messed up. I've done this before. I still owe God a lot of firework money. <laughs> okay, uh, you're, 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 you're asking the wrong guy. I wasn't sure. And yet Rod still looked at me and still invited me into that relationship. Became a youth leader. And it was no picnic for him. There were still meetings he had to have with me in the office because I did some bonehead thing or I said something. It was a learning experience, but it was a relationship. And so I got it. I understood what relationship over religion was because he wasn't like, well, then, okay, you can't be a leader in the youth group until you've got everything figured out. No, he invited me then and there because he knew the heart I had. We all have hearts for God. You were created specifically to have a heart for God, to do the things of God. Whether you know it or not, you do. But you have let things happen in your life that have told you that you are not worthy of that calling. And let me tell you something, that is the enemy telling you that. Man, I, I, have, <laughs> I have seen, because of this relationship, not religion, if you go... A few steps to where Rod had that conversation with me, a few steps to your right, you'll see on the wall, if you look clearly on a day, you'll see a patch on that wall. Because when I became youth pastor, I had a kid throw something and broke a hole in the wall. And instead of kicking him out of the youth group, I learned everything I learned from this church, everything I've learned from the leaders above me, instead of kicking him out or yelling or telling his mom, I said, hey, we got to go to Lowe's tomorrow, and I'm going to teach you how to patch a wall. <laughs> and it's because, it's because you see that patch, it's because, well, he did it, right? I have seen... I have seen funerals. I have seen weddings here. I proposed to my wife on this very stage and then got married to her nine months later on this very stage. I have seen youth kids try to take ding-dongs and throw them to get them stuck on the roof right above where Lalo is and then have to yell at them and be like, what are you doing, numbskull? I've had the deepest of cries, the, 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 the biggest laughs. I have been a part of groups where we're playing these crazy spoon games and we're breaking tables because it's so intense. I've been in wrist games with, with people and they've thrown the wrist board because they're so frustrated. I have met friends here that I don't even consider them friends, but they're brothers in my life because of this church's mission of relationship, not religion. There has been so much of my life here because I bought into that silly phrase. And so I'm inviting you to, if you have ever wanted that desire to have a relationship with God, not a religion, don't be a Christian because that you want to mark that off as a religion, but, but to be in a relationship with God, to be the way it was intended, please, 
don't leave here today without talking to a pastor. Let us pray for you. Let us, like I could do the thing where we raise our hands, but, but maybe that step in a relation, rela- relationship causes you to, to talk to one of us. Don't, don't wait 20 years. Don't think that God has, has, has left you because he hasn't. No, God is with you every single day. And so if you, again, want that relationship, please don't leave here today. And look, I get it. It's sometimes it might be a hard thing to grasp. And there was this religious leader. He knew there was something that needed to change. He knew that, 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 that something in, in the world and everything was going to be different after this meeting. And so he goes in the cover of, of night to meet with Jesus to find out, well, what does this relationship really look like? And next week, we're going to talk about Jesus meeting with Nicodemus. All right? So come next week. Wear a jersey. So Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. For your word, we thank you, God, that you're a God that craves relationship, that you're not a God of, of ritual, you're not a God of ceremony, you're a God of, I just want to know about your day. What can I help you with? So, Father, I thank you. Lord, let, let, let anyone whose heart is about craving that relationship not go away without getting prayer today. Seek one of us out. We thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. And there will be no one like you and no Beside you alone are worthy of all grace. Amen. There will be no one like you and no one beside you
Okay, so let's do a ritual. <laughs> All right, look, the truth is that if we think of communion as a ritual, then we have vastly missed the point. Communion is based off of relationship. It was that thing that Jesus said on his last night with his guys, with his friends, and said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me and what I'm going to do. And so take your bread, knowing that what Jesus did is that he gave up his body so that we could have heaven on earth, that little piece of heaven on earth. He gave up his body so that we can be healed, so that God can answer our prayers. And so take this bread in remembrance of him for what he did with his body. So because of Jesus' blood, because of the blood that he shed, we can go to God with no shame, with no condemnation, that we have freedom to ask for what we want. We might still get no's, but we have the freedom to do that because of his blood, is that he made the way for relationship. So every week when we take communion, know that this is the mo one of the most relationship things that we can do, that every week we have an opportunity to commune with God. So take, take his blood and remember what he did, what that blood gave you. Father in heaven, again, thank you. Thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for the calling you have put in all our lives. And that we can walk in authority in that calling because of the relationship we have with you. So, Father, go before us this week. Give us divine appointments. Lord, give us, give us moments of where maybe we can share just that thought of relationship over religion. Father, let us never forget that that's the true religion, is relationship. So thank you in your name. Amen. All right, guys, have a great week. See you next week with your jerseys.